So last week, um, I, I was trying to share the gospel, not not the fullness of all the context of the gospel, but the gospel in such a way that would help us to, to kind of get a, a simple picture in our minds that we could then transfer to other people. And, and sometimes we struggle a little bit so that we would also be able to have a picture in our minds. And I used uh, a video clip from that, uh, that movie, uh, Meet the Parents, and Robert De Niro is talking to this guy who wants to marry De Niro's daughter, and, and I have a sense for that, don't I, Alex? Yeah, right? And, and, and De Niro's like, uh, Greg, you know, I have this thing called the circle of trust, and, and you're in it, but you better tell me the truth or you're going to be out, and buddy, once you're out, you're out. And use that frame as a way to discuss how it is that we live. You know, we have circles of trust and how God has a circle of trust. And maybe when you're talking to somebody and they say, well, it's unfair that God wouldn't just accept everybody, right? That's one of the criticisms you hear about Christianity is that God is exclusive. He only picks some and not all. The reality is that God is not at all exclusive in the sense that he picks some and not all. He's exclusive in that many are called, but few choose, right? It's it's that everyone is called into the kingdom, but few choose to go into the kingdom. So I tried to use social circles. That's the label I put on it. You know, we have a social circle. And and those people that we trust the most, that, that we don't have a concern are going to harm us, they get into that tight little social circle. Then we might even have a second circle that has uh, people whose character has some flaws in it, and we don't trust them as much as we would trust these in here, so they don't get to participate with us quite as intimately as, as the ones in the middle would. And then there's the outer part which is literally their characters are so flawed that they're not trustworthy in any sense, and we just don't participate with them within our lives. And and God has that, and that his circle is called the kingdom. And he's calling all of humanity into his kingdom, and then people have to choose whether they want in or whether they don't. And, And the way that they understand it is the way that we present to them the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, so then this week, I, I had some experience with um, with people that are struggling a little bit, I think. And so I wanted to carry this theme. It wasn't exactly what I thought I was going to do for this week, but I want to touch this thing while it's hot and uh, give you a sense for, if you're, if you're a Christian, you know, where you came from, where you are now, and what that looks like so that when you experience things, your perspective will be different such that they don't kind of knock you off your pony. All right, so let's start. And I, I, I don't promise I'm going to keep doing this, but I'm on sort of a PowerPoint kick right now. So I'm a, I made slides for you. Can you give me the first one, please? Okay, so this is, this is you before Jesus, or maybe it's you today if you don't have Jesus. Your person, yourself, is inside that black line. And, and you are outside of God's kingdom if you're not saved and born again. And, and your very person has three components to it. Your person is made up of flesh, it's made up of soul, and it's made up of spirit. Now, your soul and your spirit are eternal. When God created them, he created them eternal. So, so you're going to, unless you know, God brings the church home before you're, you, you pass out of this life, let's just say he doesn't. For 100 years, he doesn't bring the church home. That would be called the rapture. 
then you're physically going to die. And, and this part, this flesh part, is just going to die. But your soul and your spirit are going to live forever. And, and there's, they're going to live forever only in essentially one of two places. They'll either live forever in the presence of God, you know, we would call that heaven, or they're going to live forever outside the presence of God, which would be outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, hell, eternal lake of fire. That kind of describes that not in God's presence place. There's, there's only one or the other. There's no in-between. There's only one or the other. And there's no hope that your soul and your spirit would just cease to exist if you're in that other place. You wouldn't want that to be the case if you were with God. Now, here's, a, here's another thing that I'm, I'm becoming more and more confident to tell you. Despite the fact that this fleshy part is, isn't going to go into eternity, you're going to get a body in eternity. The, the Bible speaks very directly to your eternal dwelling, physical you know, body that you're going to dwell in. And in, in either case, whether you go to heaven or you go to hell, you're going to have to have a body to spend that time in. So in heaven, you'll get this body that can't feel pain, that'll never wear out. It's a glorified, perfect, awesome body. If you wondered what it looked like, it's, it's broad-shouldered. It's flat, six-pack stomach. It's tall, just like me. No, that might not be exactly. I'm hoping that my glorified body looks a little different than the one I'm carrying around right now. I'm pretty sure the knees are going to be awesome. You could play unlimited racquetball in heaven. But if you go the other way, you're going to get a similar dwelling place. Not, not hell itself, you'll get that. But you're going to get something to, to be in because you have to experience the wrath of God physically. So you're going to get some kind of an eternal body that will be able to feel the torment of the wrath of God in physical ways, not just in soulish kind of ways. That part, I can't define as doctrine, but I believe it's true. And um, the, the most amazing Bible scholar I think I've ever seen, just awesome, made that comment the other day. That's why I'm a little more confident, because that guy's smarter than me, and, and he agrees with me on that one. So that's, that's you before you're born again, or if you're never born again, your flesh, your soul, and your spirit. That's what makes you up, okay? And now this is speaking to Christians, but if you can hear it in the sense of not being a Christian, this is kind of the situation of the person who would have been outside of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So that gives you a sense for what it was like for the Christian before they became a Christian. They were dead to God, dead in their trespasses and their sins. So they were eternally dead, spiritually dead. They were going to go and spend their eternal existence outside of God's presence. And it says that, that everybody that's a Christian used to be that guy, and they walked according to the course of the world. Now, it's important that we think about that because the world is forever trying to get us to walk its course, right? Jesus said there's two paths you can follow, one that leads to life and one that leads to death or destruction, right? Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few will find it, and wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many will find it, right? Right? So there's a way, 
that leads to eternal life with God, and there's a broad way that leads to eternal destruction. They were walking according to the course of the world. When James says, if you want to be a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God, you're hostile towards God. And 1 John says that if you are friends with the world, I might not have friends, right? but you know what it means. If you have fellowship, friendship with the world, then you don't love God. So don't be deceived. If, you, if, if what you live for is what the Bible would call the world, for partying, it's no problem to, to lie to get the things that you want, all that kind of stuff, then that's the course that you walk. And you walk that course according to the prince of the power of the air, which is a, is a description for Satan. So it's a, if you said, who's your daddy? And you went out to the nicest person in the world that you ever met, way nicer person than me, but they don't know Jesus, guess who their daddy is? It's Satan. And you could say, but they're the nicest person. It's like, no, no, they're nice when you measure them against yourself. They're not nice when God measures them against himself, right? And that's the standard, right? Remember the standard to be with God forever? Perfect and holy righteousness, just like God himself is. Anything less, one fraction less than that means that you're in outer darkness, you're in hell forever. And the only way to get that is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. But I won't go over all that again today. They lived uh, in the lust of their flesh, indulging the desires of their flesh. That's all the world. And of their mind, of the world, and were by nature, their very nature, children of wrath. So every single person that's not born again is a child of wrath. Their, their, their affections are for things of the world. Okay. Let me have the next um, slide picture, please. I don't know that I, I did this perfectly for you to be able to, to get it, but I'll explain it to you. Then you got born again. You did like that guy did and that lady did back in the chairs over there on that Sunday night, and you literally considered the cost, and you gave your life to Jesus, and you placed your trust in Jesus for the payment of your sin debt, that you trusted your life with Jesus, okay? So what happened at that point then is you actually did enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within us. Right? It's, it, we're on this earth, but the kingdom is within us. So the big yellow line, I keep wanting to call it a circle, but the big you know, sort of circle thing, that indicates that now you've, you've changed residence. You, you used to be in the kingdom of darkness. Now you're in the kingdom of light. You're in God's kingdom. And then the, little, the littler one that's wrapped around soul and spirit indicates that when that happened, something happened to you personally. Now you died. And you were born again, but you were also indwelt by God's very spirit. So when, you, when that happened to you, the Bible says that you were baptized into Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ. So literally, when you got born again, baptized means to submerse, to, to put in. So you were put in to the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit was put into you. So that circle, the littler one, represents now that you are found in Christ. Your flesh didn't get to participate in that program. It's still on the outside, but it's where it wants to be. Your flesh doesn't want to be in the kingdom. Your flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with Holy Spirit. It doesn't want to serve God. Your flesh is outside the kingdom, metaphorically speaking. It's still part of you, but it's not the part you identify with. If you do something wrong, and then you get to feeling all kind of guilty and, you know, you just get mad at yourself and you curse yourself or whatever, which don't do that. Don't curse yourself. But when that happens, the problem you're experiencing at that point is your soul is identifying with your flesh and not with God's spirit. 
And while you may have done what you did, you never identify that as yourself because that part ain't you anymore. Despite how you might behave, it's not who you are. Say amen to that one. Amen Amen to that one. All right. Now, so let's talk for a second about those three pieces, okay? The flesh is unregenerate. There's no life in the flesh, no eternal life in the flesh. Nothing good happened to the flesh when you got born again. It's, it, it's, it's nasty, and it stayed nasty. It is corrupt. It is hopeless, right? Because it's not going to go to hell. It's just going to die. And, and it's unholy. It has no hope of being holy. Okay. So, so you don't... I'm trying to think of the word. In a minute, you'll see sanctification. Your flesh, you don't, you don't sanctify your flesh. You don't try to help your flesh to get holy. Anybody know what you do with your flesh? You crucify it. That's exactly right. The only thing that you have anything to do with your flesh is to deny it and to crucify it. From now until the day that God takes you home, in which case then the flesh will cease to be an issue for you in all of eternity. Only two ways you interact with the flesh. You deny it and you crucify it. Okay, so moving to the right is your soul. Now your soul... Is, is described as the combination of your mind, your will, and your emotions. The way I see the soul is it's, it's the essence of my personality. It's kind of who I am. Now, my spirit is me too, but I just don't understand the spirit that much. I understand it enough to understand the process, but I don't understand it so much that I, I could put a face on it, so to speak. But, but I can put a face on, on the soul. So it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, now, the spirit is the third part of your person, and, and spiritually, God is spirit. And, and originally, Adam and Eve were like God. We were made in God's image, but they were like God in the sense that they also carried his holiness. They carried his righteousness. They actually carried his glory until they sinned. All right? So now, we're born again, and something happens inside the circle there. To the spirit, what happens is that it becomes regenerate. It's like it's dead and now it's alive. When you're born again, I think that's the part that actually gets reborn. Regenerate is your spirit. And once that happens, it is absolutely flawless. It is pure. It, is, it says we are one spirit with God at that point. So he, he doesn't connect himself to a harlot, right? He says we shouldn't either. So our spirit is made new and pure at that point. Our spirit the Bible says, is seated in heavenly places with Christ. I mean, I, I've, I've literally in prayer, I've said, I'd like, if I'm up there, Lord, I just, just open up one eye a little bit. I just want to see. But I think I'm confusing the soul with the spirit. The spirit is already there in some sense. Okay. So it's regenerate. It's not corrupt. There is no corruption in your, in your born-again spirit. It is one with God, and it is absolutely holy. Your spirit is holy. Now comes the, the troublesome guy, your soul. And, and that's where all the work is happening in Christianity right now. For, you know, in the church, all that stuff is in your soul. To bring it into alignment with what you see in Jesus. All right? So your, whole, your soul, at the moment that you were born again, starts this process of becoming like Jesus. But it's not altogether like Jesus. It has the power and the ability 
to act like Jesus. You know, somebody slaps you on the face and Jesus says, take a slap on the other side. Your soul at that point has the ability to actually hold your hands down and say, hey, you might as well take the other side too. But it doesn't quite have the training yet (laughs) to necessarily always do that. When someone insults you, you might respond outside of Jesus in there, right? So what that process is called is called sanctification. From glory to glory and from faith to faith, your soul man is being made into the likeness of Christ. Remember you tell the story about the, the um, who's the guy that makes, the, makes gold? He's got the thing called a crucible. Smelter, thank you. Said by the jeweler. Good job. So, so the smelter, he takes, you know, like impure gold and he puts it into a pot, uh, uh, a crucible. And they heat the snot out of that thing. And then the junk starts to float to the surface. And he scrapes the junk off and he looks at it. And, and until he can see a perfect reflection of himself, he knows that, he, that the thing still needs to be continually sanctified. So he continues to heat it up and he scrapes it off. And, and, and what that means in our existence is the Holy Spirit is, is doing that with us. And when God, he says, okay, you know, I, I cooked them pretty good. And you all have had that experience, right? The trials of many kinds. And then, and then he looks down in there, Jesus, and he says, mm, man, it's, it sure is getting better, but I can't see myself perfectly in there. He's like, okay, you know, back to work. And that's the process of sanctification where all these things that are unholy, that are unlike Jesus, are being dealt with in our lives. Now, we have a part to play in that, and Holy Spirit has a part to play in that. But that's sanctification. That's becoming holy. So you can find yourself at any stage of the way of being sanctified, being made to look like Jesus, where you're being set apart in every area of your life. Now, maybe you were uh, uh, someone who told lots of lies before you were born again, and now you don't tell any lies. That part of your life has been sanctified. It's been set apart for Christ. And, and you know, maybe who knows what, and, and you're still struggling with that one a little bit. The issue isn't so much that you're struggling with it. The issue you need to be concerned with is how are you dealing with the struggle, Right? Because you're going to struggle because you got that thing on the left over there, that big old black thing, and you drag it around with you until you go to be with Jesus in heaven. That's the reason that your soul is struggling is because the flesh is forever trying to get it to do that. But that's, that's in a minute. So that gives you a sense for who you are, who you were, who you become, kind of at a real high level, what happened in that process of you becoming born again, getting born again. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. For he, he is Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we went from outside the kingdom to inside the kingdom. How did we do it? We were redeemed in Christ Jesus. Now, we're in this kingdom, right? Pretend we're, we're new believers, Sometimes I think, for me, it would be good to just push the reset button and shake off all the junk. Matter of fact, Pastor Jim over at the Freedom Center, you know, not not instantly after I got saved, because quite frankly, I'm not sure when I got saved, but at some point, as I was really starting to grow in the Lord and starting to reflect Jesus more and more, one of the things he said to me is, you know, God says that the kingdom of heaven is for people like children, you're so like a child. No, that's not what he said. But what he did say was, see, I never grew up in the church. I didn't know anything about the church. There are still words that church people say that are common church words. I don't even know what they mean. 
And I'm not even trying to learn them. Because Pastor Jim said, one of the things that you're really blessed with is you didn't drag any baggage, church baggage, into your relationship with Jesus. You were just a, just a blank sheet of paper, and, and then you learned Jesus in a good way without you know, having all the junk that sometimes people get when they've been in the church their whole life. Because guess what? The church, from the person who's most like Jesus to the person who's least like Jesus, still isn't exactly like Jesus, right? And, and there's a word that we need to all embrace as we walk through this. You know what that word is? It's a G word. That's exactly right. <laughs> but she's married to me. She knows about grace better than anybody. So now, now I'm moved into, I'm now moved into this kingdom. What should I expect? Well, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 gives you a big picture. Look, it says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Now, for those of you that thought, wait a minute, who wants a kingdom where you don't get to eat? It's not exactly like that. But the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, here's the description, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so the first thing that we've got to understand about the kingdom is it's in the Holy Spirit. There's no way into the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. When, when you get actually born again and God puts his spirit to dwell inside of you, you are now... He's in you, but you are in him, just like you were baptized into Christ. And, and all of what the kingdom is, is in the Holy Spirit. It's all in the Holy Spirit. When something happens on the coronation, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, God is making his plan come to pass through his son, Jesus, right? But his son is executing the plan through his body, which is the church. So it's not like Nancy can just stay home. And, and just try to somehow get her spiritual goggles on and watch all the good stuff happening at the coronation. No, she has to get up there and participate. She has to pray. She has to get us to pray because that's the way that God has chosen to bring this world back into where it's supposed to be in his son and where his body, where his hands and where his feet, where his mouth. I mean, Jesus would probably be more happy with us if we used his mouth a little better, don't you think? I know for me that's true. So, so he's getting it done through the Spirit, empowering the body, led by its head, which is Jesus, who listens to the instruction of the Father and does only what he sees the Father doing and hears the Father saying. And that whole process with us is how he's engaging this world to bring it out of darkness and into light. Okay, in the Holy Spirit. Then there's righteousness, right? So righteousness, if you've been here a while, you've heard this like to the point where your ears are numb. But, but there's two ways that you have to see righteousness. One is what would be imputed righteousness. So when you prayed that prayer and you literally confessed repentance, Jesus is Lord, and you placed your sincere trust in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, you became righteous. You might not have looked all that righteous, but from God's perspective, you know, he put a stamp on you. And that stamp is the Holy Spirit, right? So, so you became righteous. You might have never done a good thing in your whole life, and if the bus hit you that minute and you died, you'd go to heaven. Not because of your own righteousness. You'll never get to heaven, even if you think that you have to have your own righteousness. You would go to heaven because Jesus' righteousness was imputed to you by faith, and you became righteous. But there's also practical righteousness or, or righteousness that you practice 
in, in the Beatitudes in uh, Matthew chapter 5, it said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So we should be pursuing righteousness. And God says if we'll pursue righteousness, we'll be satisfied. He'll see that we become more and more practically righteous. So the guy who struggled with telling lies all the time and now he doesn't anymore has become righteous in that area of his life. He's, he's found righteousness. So there's two ways for you to see righteousness. One is a gift of salvation imputed uh, Jesus' righteousness to you. And the second is a goal for our lives, that we would hunger and thirst to actually practice the very righteousness of Christ. Peace and joy. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hands, but we don't always feel peace, and we don't always feel joy. Is that true or isn't it? So does that mean that the kingdom is not a kingdom of peace and joy? No, no. And I'll explain that to you in a second. The kingdom is a kingdom of peace, and the kingdom is a kingdom of joy. It, it has to be grasped, even though you already possess it. If that makes any sense, I don't know. John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let me start again. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Jesus says his peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So, so sometimes you don't feel like you have peace, but Jesus said, I gave you peace. And, and it's interesting, too, that the peace he gives you is, is a shalomi kind of peace, like a feel-it kind of peace, but he's also given you peace with God in your relationship. You're, you're at peace with God. You're not at enmity with God anymore because of what Jesus did, and you trusted it, all right? But he says, not like the world gives. See, the world is going to always try to draw you out of that, um, that kingdom, and it's going to offer you what, what you, maybe peace isn't the best word, but it's going to offer you joy and happiness and satisfaction, and it's going to say the more money you have or your, your fleshly lusts and desires, those things that, you know, that your body is calling out for, the world's going to try to tell you that's the way to peace and joy. But it's not. It's the way of death. So Jesus gives us his peace, not like the world tries to convince us for what peace is. Okay? All right. So the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But many of us at any given time, and probably all of us at some time or another, don't necessarily experience the kingdom in the way that it's described right there. So so let's talk about why that is. I think... Two super big keys are bad expectations and believing lies, okay? So, so we entered the kingdom. Like when I first got saved, you know what I heard 3,000 times? I wasn't even saved yet. People thought I was because I raised my hand and prayed a prayer. But I promise you, I wasn't saved yet. But when people saw me raise their hands, they wanted me so much to be happy. And they wanted me so much to see God in a certain way. They weren't people with bad intent, but they weren't people that were telling me how it was going to be. They're like, oh, God loves you so much. He wants to bless you. He wants to make you so happy. And, and I didn't have a, a scriptural grid to hang any of that on, right? I didn't have a grid that said that, that I should be rejoicing in my connecting, myself having been connected into Christ's resurrection and also in the fellowship of his suffering. You know, he told me about that part. They just said, God wants to make you happy. And I'm like, well, I'm happy to be happy. But, but it set me off on a trajectory that, that caused me to wonder, well, I remember having a conversation with Teresa. 
somebody we would see in the church and, and their wheels would come off their life. And then somebody else would get sick and somebody else would be this. And I'd be like, oh man, we need to, we need to get ready because it's got to be coming to us. It's coming to all them. The wheels are going to have to come off because it looks like that's how it is. It was a total misrepresentation of what it means to enter the kingdom. There's tons of good stuff. And, and God does want us to have peace and joy all the time and to be righteous all the time. But there's forces that don't. Okay, so here's some truth and reality for you. John 16, 33. Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So there's Jesus speaking truth. He's like, listen, in me you have peace. You have peace if you're in Jesus. But in the world, you're going to experience tribulation. But don't be afraid. Why? Because you're in him and he has overcome the world. He never succumbed to those things. The things that are going to be tribulation in your life, he never allowed them, right? Jesus is in the back of the boat and it's going like all sideways and up and water splashing and wind's blowing and, and the disciples are like, hey man, we're going to die. And he's asleep. Somebody go wake him up. And they're like, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus is like, peace be still. He rolled over and pulled a blanket up over his shoulder and went back to sleep. Not, I'm not sure he did that. But the point is, there wasn't any reason for him not to have peace. Because he knew the world is overcome. And he actually has authority over everything. So he told it, the winds to just stop. You know, is that better? Yeah. Who is this man that even the wind has to obey him? The son of God, that's who he is. Incarnate as, as the son of man. Okay, so you're going to have tribulation in this world. Jesus has given you his peace. Take courage. Jesus has overcome the world on our behalf, right? John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, now, if you would, give me the next slide, please. Okay, so up in the upper left, you see it says agreement matters. And remember I told you your soul and your spirit, they're inside the kingdom of God. You're baptized into Christ. Holy Spirit is inside of you. Your flesh is on the outside. Your flesh and your spirit hate each other. They have absolutely they don't agree on anything. They're both vying for what I call the fruit of your soul. And, and there's this tug of war that's happening. The, the flesh, who is in cahoots with the enemy, right? The enemy's access to you is through your flesh. Is forever trying to draw you into the world. Out, the outside green part is the world. The inside that, that yellow uh, line is God's kingdom. The flesh is always, always, always trying to draw you into the world, get you to come into agreement with the world, however that might be, to get you to come into agreement with the world. But the spirit, that's, now, that's not Holy Spirit, that's your spirit, is forever trying to draw you back to be like Jesus. So you're experiencing no peace or no joy or you're having problems. It's because of this is why you're having those problems. It's because your spirit and your flesh are contending with one another for your soul and, and how it's going to behave, so to speak, and what it's going to think and, and what's going to be true and what's going to be false. The, the enemy works through the flesh by lies and deception, and the Holy Spirit connects to your soul through your spirit through the truth. Okay, So that's why 
that you're going to struggle with having peace and you're going to have tribulation and in the tribulation you're not going to feel peace because there's this battle going on for how your soul is perceiving things and how your soul is going to respond to things, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? Okay. Galatians 5, 16 through 24, scripturally kind of speaks to this dynamic. Apostle Paul speaking, but I say walk by the Spirit. What he means then is that, that you're getting direction from the Spirit and you're getting direction from your flesh. Don't listen to the flesh, listen to the Spirit. Walk by the walk that the Spirit is walking. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. They're totally opposed to one another. You, that's why you don't ever try to redeem your flesh. You don't try to make your flesh better. You don't try to make it holy. You crucify it. You deny it, and you crucify it. You deny it, and you crucify it. It's opposed completely to your spirit. They're in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, that's not you in the middle. That's you in the black box. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. So if you ever wonder who you agreed with, here's a list of some things that you could, if you see this in your life, then you know that you are agreeing, you're being drawn in the wrong direction. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, See how many of these things are, are related to how people interact with each other? Strife, dissent, all that kind of stuff, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you practiced any of those things, if, if, you've, if you've done some of those things, since you've been born again, you're not necessarily damned to hell. Like, oh, well, you practiced immorality, therefore you can't be saved anymore. No. You, you, in your flesh, for whatever reason, by the deception of the enemy, through your flesh, your soul did something it shouldn't have done. But God doesn't measure your behavior. He measures your heart. And so, so if you did something immoral or idolatrous or covetous and, and God looked on you, he wouldn't see you in your own old self. He'd see you in the righteousness of Jesus. And he would look to your heart and he would see, ah, they goofed up, but their heart still belongs to my son. Right? We'll see later in Galatians where he says, God will not be mocked. That's when he would see something and somebody would be like, well, oh, you know, thank God for grace. You know, I can do whatever I want. God's like, no, you're mocking me now. You're not actually in grace. When, when you get born again, and this is a rabbit trail, I'm not going to go down, but it would be good for another day, is you change legal systems. You are under the law of sin and death before you're born again. The whole world is under that law. Everybody sins. They're all destined to death. They're outside of the kingdom. They're in outer darkness. It's called the world now, but outer darkness or hell. Eventually, they're children of wrath. They're in under the legal system called the law of sin and death. But when a person gets born again, God moves them from that, and they're not, they're not in that legal system anymore. They're in the legal system called uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And they're literally, I mean, not temporally, but 
eternally, they're not accountable to the law. If you're born again, you are not accountable to the law. You say, can I murder somebody? You could murder somebody and still go to heaven. Could I tell a lie? You could tell a lie and still go to heaven. Why? Because you're not under law. You're under grace. Now, there's more to that. Why you shouldn't. Morality would tell you that you shouldn't. And if you practice those things, if that was just the regular practice of your life, you probably weren't actually born again or you've denied your faith and you might be back under the law. Scripture speaks to that. But the point of being saved is that God takes you out of the law because the law is what empowers sin. So sin is powerful. It it has a power over you when you're under the law. But when you're not under the law, sin has no power anymore. So you can actually be righteous. Okay. Can't enter the kingdom of God if you are a person who lives like the world. Okay, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the flesh and the enemy are forever trying to get your soul to look like that icky list. And God, through Holy Spirit and your spirit, always trying to bring out what God is like. God is like love. God is like peace. He's like joy. And and the fruit of the spirit, if you see those things emanating from you, then you know that you're, you're in the Spirit and you're producing what is like God in your life. That's godliness, God-likeness. And that's the goal, to be like God. Okay? All right. In either case, I said in agreement matters. In either case, we empower who we agree with. Okay? So, so if, we, if we let our guard down and we just say the heck with it and we go start, I don't know what, I hate to use, you know, pornography or whatever all the time, but it's the easiest one. You know, you start looking at this, you're looking at that, you, your eyes are set to places it shouldn't be. You're listening to music that's unholy, that, 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 that's a bad spirit behind that music, for example. And what happens is then, um, give me the next one, please, John. I think this one will be number four. What happens is you empower who you agree with. So... So Satan has got you to agree with him. You've, you've started to agree with your flesh, and now you're starting to operate. You're being led by the flesh, not by the spirit. And you see what happens is that thing called flesh, relative to your spirit, gets big and strong because you're feeding it. You're nourishing that thing. And, and then the fruit of your soul becomes more aligned with, the, with your flesh than it does with your spirit. Give me the next one, John. But just the opposite happens. When you read your Bible, guess what happens? Your flesh is screaming. It's being crucified. When it says, tries to tempt you because of who knows why into some kind of worldly thing, and you say no, guess what happens? It's shrinking, shrinking. Sorry, I'm thinking of the, the Wizard of Oz lady. Don't watch the Wizard of Oz. It's bad. But oh, that's what happens, right? She just, poof, she just melts away. And your spirit gets stronger and stronger. So, so if you'll dedicate yourself to... to to meditating on the scriptures and reading the scriptures and, and spending time alone, waiting on the Lord to speak and to, and to come and fill you. It says the disciples in, I think it's Acts chapter 13, it says, and they were continually filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. Well, why are those two put together? Because righteousness, peace, and joy are where? In the Holy Spirit. That's the representation. That's the connection in the kingdom is the Holy Spirit. So if you will 
if you will immerse yourself in the Holy Spirit and you'll dwell on the scriptures and, and you'll delight in the Lord's commands, read the word of God, then what will happen is your spirit will get big and, and your, your flesh will get weak. When, we, when we're fasting, it's a way of crucifying our flesh because our flesh is hungry. It wants food to eat. It likes donuts and all that kind of stuff. And when we say no to the donut, we're crucifying the flesh. You may not struggle with that. I know some people do. I, I don't understand it myself. But when you say no to every bit of food, I remember I told my mom, she offered us food. Like, no thanks. But my mom, I, she, you know, I grew up in her house. I never say no to food, right? What do you mean? I don't want any. Patrick, are you all right? Well, yeah. Well, how come you're not eating? Well, we're fasting. You're fasting? Yeah. You're not eating anything? No. All day? Not yesterday, not the day before either. My mom thinks I'm going to drop dead right there because we can't even conceive of not eating, right? But see, we're telling our flesh, sorry, you don't get to be in charge. You scream as loud as you want, and I'll just praise God. The louder you scream, the louder I'll praise because you are learning to be crucified. You're denied. You're crucified. Okay, so that's kind of the dynamic that happens. Galatians 6, that's the end of the slides, I think, John. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So when, when the Scripture says, walk in the Spirit, by the Spirit, with the Spirit, then you reap eternal life. But when we choose to walk according to the flesh, we reap corruption, and we get literally corrupted. And, and I don't know how many of you believe me when I tell you this, but I'm telling you the things that you let into your eyes and the things that you allow into your ears will either help you to be glorified like Jesus or they will corrupt you. And if you think that you can listen to horrible music that talks about degrading other people and foul language and all that because of whatever, I'm telling you, you are being corrupted. If you gaze, if you set your gaze to TV shows, movies, you're like, oh, come on, you're just this religious, you know, legalist guy. I'm telling you, you are connecting yourself to the world and you will reap corruption. There's no question about it. We are to be holy for he is holy. Yeah, even the news, right. And just let me read um, verse 9 and 10. It's not directly lined, but it's beautiful. It's like, so, so don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. You can't say that you're in Jesus, yet you're choosing to live in the flesh. If that's the life that you choose, you're mocking God. And, and you're thinking he's giving you grace. Uh, Jude says that there are these people, and they're preaching this gospel that takes the grace of our Lord and Savior, our Lord and God, and turns it into licentiousness. Licentiousness is a license to do what you want, to satisfy your flesh, and, and God gives you grace for that. He does not give you grace for that. Do not be deceived. What you sow, you will reap. One unto life, one unto corruption. And then it says at the end here, it says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, so when, when you wonder, it's like, what does walking in the Spirit look like? It looks a little bit like that. Don't get tired. Don't get weary. Continue to do it. You will reap 
from that good that you sow. And, and a good way to sow is to do good for everybody, but especially your brothers and sisters in the faith. All right. So if we're in this kingdom but we're not experiencing what the kingdom looks like, what do we do? The very first thing, repeat this after me, trust in God. I didn't think till I was on my way here for the scripture, but Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So you might have to wait a little while. You might be being tested. But if you read the scriptures and you meditate on the scriptures and you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, you will know what walking in the Spirit looks like. It may not always feel like peace and joy, but you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't even try to make any understanding out of it. You trust God. You trust, we're, oh no, something, I lost my job. Oh no. No, trust in God. Your job isn't what feeds you. God is who feeds you. He might do it through a job, and he'll bring you another job. He might do it through a brother or sister. He might do it through the church. Trust God. That's step number one. Now, I got about a lot of scriptures, but I'm only just going to read them to you. I'm going to try, really, you can say stop it if I try to expound on them. I just want you to see scriptures, right? You heard that what the kingdom is like. You heard that you're going to have tribulation, but Jesus overcame it. You heard that he's given you peace, but you might always experience it in your, in your experience or whatever that's called. I'm going to read you these scriptures. Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you don't change the way you think, you will never experience the kingdom the way you're supposed to. Because you'll feel like you're being crucified. You feel, say it, you're supposed to say it, not supposed to say it. Sorry. You have to change the way you think. You have to come into agreement with God, or you will never experience the joy and peace that's actually in the kingdom that's yours. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Until that time comes, then you set your mind on things above. You set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth that's coming against you or that don't seem right. Set your mind on what the truth says. Amen. All right, I did that for you. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. Find your joy. Find your joy in the Lord always. Again, I will say, find your joy. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. He doesn't feel near. What does that mean? Nothing. He is near. He will never leave you nor forsake you. How do you know that? Because he said so. But what if I don't feel him? What if it feels like the only person next to me is the devil? Jesus is standing between you and the devil. Jesus is near. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Okay, sorry, that was expounding and I wasn't supposed to do that. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. But what about nothing? Okay. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. In what? Everything. Everything. That's right. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for? Nothing. In all things... Let your request be known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses your ability to understand it or comprehend it will guard you in your heart and in your mind in Christ Jesus. All right. That's a good one right there, huh? 
James 1, excuse me, Matthew 6.25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Don't. Lost your job? The end says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right? You believe it? Yeah. Until you're tested. Right? Until you did lose your job. Until you don't know how you're going to make your heat payment or whatever. Then what do you do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Right? Okay. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. So stop it if you're worried about your life. James 1, 2 through 4. This is a favorite. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How does that happen? Trials of many kinds, right? God is using the trials. For what purpose? To bring you to be more like Jesus. He's testing your faith, allowing trials into your life such that you will become more like Jesus. He's in the trials. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So when something that doesn't feel good is happening, guess what's happening? God's using it. For what? Good. Yeah. Yeah, he's using it for good to make you like Jesus because you love God, because you're called according to his purpose. You can't accomplish his purpose till he gets you to be more like Jesus. This is how it happens. 1 Samuel, you always try to draw in one Old Testament scripture, I guess. 1 Samuel 30 and 6, just at the end. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So David, he had some trials, like, you know, spears are thrown at him, and all the guys are trying to kill him, and all this different stuff is going on. He strengthened. Other translations say found strength or encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You're, you're feeling like you're at the end of your rope? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. He's waiting. Remember, you can approach boldly the throne of grace and find mercy and find grace in your time of need. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me, Paul speaking. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. Hear Paul. Now, Paul is speaking here. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You're in the part of, like, I'm a little hungry and I'm not fasting? You stand. Because he will give you the strength that you need to do it. First Thessalonians 5.11. This is the corporate one. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So sometimes I'm going to have like a lack of peace, and I'm not going to be able to find my way. We can't see the forest for the trees. I'm not able to find my way out. Guess who's going to help me? Yeah, right. You're going to help me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to encourage you in the scriptures. I'm going to tell you, no, he hasn't left you. He's not forsaken you. He loves you. He's testing you so that you can be more like Jesus. And rather than focusing on the test and the trial, focus on being more like Jesus. It's a matter of perspective. When we worship, which sooner or later we are going to have a a worship time today. When we worship, 
I would put my money on later if I were you, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm almost done. I really am. Um, when we get into worship time, we're praising God, and we're wanting to send up a fragrant, a beautiful, fragrant aroma of praise to him. We just want to tell him how, just how we can see how good he is and just reflect back to him how awesome he is. But that's the corporate time that we should be ministering to one another as well. We minister to the Lord, the Lord ministers to us, and the Lord ministers through us. So Jesus, I, I was running around trying to get everybody privately or individually last Sunday. Let me get you corporately. Jesus said that as the Father sent him, so Jesus sends us. So you want to know what you're supposed to be like? Be like Jesus. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Do what Jesus did. And then Jesus says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. So I have some works of the devil. I'm still struggling with these knees. Sometimes I'm a little weak. We had a, what what did you call it? A cardinal moment or something? A squawk, right? I called it a squawk. Yeah, you probably don't even want to know the word she used for it. But we were having a thing, right? And and we did good. We got out of it. but, But the point is we help each other with these things. Somebody had to counsel her and say, no, he's not a bum. He's okay. You know, he's in Jesus. The point is, we got to minister to one another. We have got to start ministering to one another. We shouldn't come here with anything that hasn't been at least touched by prayer before we leave. You come with a little sickness, get your prayer for it. You come like you're struggling with something, get prayer for it. Don't be ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed. Jesus bore all the shame on the cross. We don't have to be ashamed. We're found in him. All we're trying to do is undo the works of the devil, destroy the works of the devil. So I'm just I'm trying to tell you guys, we've got to start praying with each other. Or we're not going to be more like Jesus. That's the mechanism. That's what Nancy said. God said we have to pray. That's what God's using, prayer. Okay, that was a lot for that scripture. Here's the last one, 2 Corinthians 1.20. This has just been so speaking to me lately. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. That's kind of weird words, but think about what it's saying. See, people say all God's promises are yes. Yeah, but they're not yes, unless you're in Jesus. All of God's promises are yes in him. So you want to claim God's promise, but you're not a Christian. You're not in, you haven't died to yourself and given yourself to Jesus. You won't get to claim the promise because you're not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, then you claim the promise because it's yours. But the next part is just as cool. It says, in our amen is to his glory flowing through us, right? Now, I don't know who had the anointing or maybe it was, a, it was everybody that was at that lady's house when we prayed over Maggie. But she doesn't have cancer anymore. Amen. That's our amen. We amen to God's glory through us. Because God's glory came through us. It touched that lady who's, I mean, you should have seen her. She was scared. She thought she was going to die. I mean, she probably was told she was going to die. Stage four cancer, except for God's glory flowed through us. So what's the promise? Those who believe will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. What's the promise? I've given you authority over the devils, all the demons, and all the power of the demons. I've given you authority over every sickness and every disease. Those are the promises. The world can't claim those promises, but we can claim those promises. And our amen is when we see them, God's glory happening through us. When somebody's a liar, stops being a liar, guess what? God's glory happening through that person. Okay. 
So I hope today you got a better sense. Now, you know, I probably didn't tell you anything you didn't already know, but, but I hope you got a better sense for what's going on. <laughs> See, I'm going to need a little prayer today. They get stiff when I sit in a chair. I'm hoping that you got kind of a simple picture of what's going on. You're made up of three pieces. Two of them, if you're born again, one has been fully redeemed. One is being, not redeemed isn't a good word, but being sanctified. It's being made more like Jesus. And the third piece is dead. It's to be denied and it's to be crucified. You're living in a fallen world, even though the kingdom is inside of you, that Jesus has overcome, but you haven't personally overcome it yet. So it's going to try to steal from you that peace and joy that you have from Jesus in the Holy Spirit. But you have to claim all those scriptures that I read to you. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the Father has gladly desired to give you his kingdom. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It matters what's true. Amen? Amen. Okay. And all of us, all of us are responsible to bring it out of each of us. Or each of us are responsible to bring it out of all of us. I don't know what's the right way to say it, but you know what I mean. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for the encouragement that's in your word. And thank you, Lord. Wow, what a purpose we can have. When we are called, uh, we love you and we're called according to your purpose, we get to destroy the works of the devil. We get to see lost people found. We get to see the tear coming down the side of the face and the quivering lip as somebody considers which life they want because they can't have both. And then we get to see the glory when they choose Jesus. We get to see the lady with cancer who come to this meeting doesn't know nothing from nothing except that's the only real hope she has. And then four months later, she has no cancer anymore because of you, Jesus. We get to live that purpose.